You can feel God in the house this morning, can't you? How's everybody doing? Everybody good and awake? Y'all stay up and watch too much football yesterday. That's all right. I followed it on my phone. I was trying to keep my eyes open to watch the Clemson game last night. Uh, I hope everybody's recovered from Hurricane Irma. It's kind of something we want to talk about up front first and... Um, I hope everybody has your power back on, and I know there's trees and still a lot of stuff, man. I know, you know, last Sunday we, we prayed about that storm, not only that storm, but the storms in our lives and stuff, but, but I think it was uh, pretty minimal compared to what it could have been. And uh, uh, we wanted to say this, though. If you're struggling in any way with power and still at your house or you've got tree limbs or whatever, man, call us up here at the church. We may not be the ones to do the work, but we can probably try to help you out in some way. So if you're, if you're still struggling from the results of Hurricane Irma, man, don't hesitate to call up here at the church and talk to us this week. Uh, we'd love to be of help, okay? Um, I, uh, last Sunday, to me, was a very special Sunday. I don't know. It's, we've had several this summer, haven't we? I mean, just, I mean, altar filled up, people praying, um, and honestly, for me, it was kind of an inspiration for this morning's message, uh, because it's something, this lesson's kind of, this message is, is something that I feel like God's been trying to share with my wife and I, uh, especially in 2016 and 2017, and, uh, Probably our whole lives, honestly, but definitely I can look back in the last two years and see him trying to share this with us, and so this morning, I want to share it with you guys. Um, I'm going to go ahead and preface this sermon by saying this. Um, It's very simple, the lesson is, and uh, most of you are not going to be riveted as I share this lesson with you, okay? I'm not, like, I just think, I think most of you know it already. I I don't expect a lot of wows or amens you know, but don't fluff your pillows just yet, all right, because uh, as much as I know that what I'm about to share with you guys, I feel like you already know this, I, I feel absolutely confident to say that very few of us put it into practice in our life. Very few of us, even though we know this, and I'm including, including myself in this, even though we know this truth out of the Bible, most of us don't adhere to it. We don't live by it. And so I'm going to share this with you this morning, and in order to do that, I have to tell you guys a quick story out of the Bible. So if you will, turn in your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 6, and we're going to start off in verse 8. Now this story centers around a man named Elisha. He is a farmer turned prophet, and uh, Elisha was the apprentice of another prophet. Can anybody tell me who it was? Elijah, very good. Now, if you don't know anything about Elijah, I'm just going to give you a little quick background on him. Elijah was a fiery prophet, get it? Thank you, thank you, a little church joke there. All right, Elijah, man, let me tell you, most of Elijah's time as a prophet was spent uh, telling the king of Israel at that time that what he, he was worshiping false gods and he was wrong, and most of it was spent on the run, trying not to die. Now, Elisha is that man's understudy, okay? And so, uh, and actually, we go and we read about Elisha, we find out Elisha actually performed twice as many miracles as Elijah did. And most of, now, most of what we hear about Elisha, when you read about him, he was a very, God used him uh, in, a, in very compassionate ways. Uh, Elisha performed most of his miracles, like 18 or so, were just to provide for someone in need. But don't be fooled because Elisha was the understudy of Elijah, and what you will see is some fieriness that come out of him ever so often. And I just, I kind of wanted you to have an idea of who the guy was. He's a kind of a tough cookie kind of guy. He had some strength down inside of him. And y'all think you're going to see it in this story. Uh, so look at uh, verse 8 with me right here. Um, I'm going to kind of read this. We're going to read this together, and I'll kind of stop and explain it as we go. 
when the king of Aram was at war with Israel, he would confer with his officers and say, we will mobilize our forces at such and such a place. But immediately Elisha, the man of God, would warn the king of Israel, do not go near that place, for the Aramaeans are planning to mobilize their troops there. Verse 10, so the king of Israel would send word to the place indicated by the man of God, in other words, Elisha. And time and again, Elisha warned the king so that he would be on alert there. Now, let me explain to you what happened, okay? So what essentially happened here, and and Aram is essentially Syria, okay? So I'm going to use Israel and Syria. What's happening is you have some, Israel and Syria are in conflict, and they're kind of posturing around one another right here, okay? What I would say is like uh, Donald Trump, Kim Jong-un. Okay, that, I mean, that's essentially what's happening. And, and so they're, they're in close proximity to one another. And what they're doing is the king of Aram, he would pull all of his people together, his advisors, his, his warriors, you know, or his commanding warriors and all this. He'd pull them all together. He'd say, all right, guys, here's the plan. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to go and we're going to set up an installation at this place in order to attack Israel. And as soon as the words would come out of his mouth, as soon as the command was made, God would speak to Elisha. And Elisha would know what the plan was, and he would turn and walk to the king's office. That's just how I imagine it. Walk to the king's office, he'd say, hey, uh, you need to know this is what the guys are up to over there in Syria. And so the king of Israel would then make his adjustments, and then when the Syrians would arrive, wherever they were supposed to go, the Israelites had already beat them to it. I mean, just you get what's happened? You get what's happening? So what we know, so they would get together again. The Syrians would get together again. Okay, well, that didn't work, so here's what we'll do. We'll go and we'll, uh, we'll put a blockade on this bridge. And then they would get there, and guess what? The Israelites were already there. They would say, okay, we're going to ambush this caravan that's come, this supply caravan. We're going to do that. And the supply caravan of the Israelites would change its course. Time and time again, that's what happened. They just couldn't, it, no matter what, it was like the Syrians were one step behind what the Israelites were doing. In verse 11, it says this, it says, Then the king of Aram became very upset over this. He called his officers together and demanded, Which of you is a traitor? Who has been informing the king of Israel of my plans? Now, I love this part of the story, okay? Now, you guys know, I'm an imaginative, I can't even say that right, but I have an imagination, right? And so I don't know, but for some reason, when I, when I imagine the king of Syria, he's convened his troops, I imagine he's got them all sitting at this round table. And he's walking around the table with a Louisville slugger. You know what I'm talking about? And, I, and I just, I, this is what I picture in my head. All of a sudden, he's Italian. I'm sorry if you're Italian. And he goes, he goes one of you is a rat. Like, that's what I imagine. Like, that's what he, because that's essentially what he's doing. He's pulling them all together. He's going, one of you guys is telling the Israelites what we're up to. Every time we make plans, you're a spy. And that's what you're doing. One of the guys he jumps up, one of the officers, and I don't know how he knows, but he knew about Elisha. He said, no, man, you don't understand. There is this guy, and his name is Elisha, and somehow God speaks to him, or he's, it's magic or something, but he knows our plans. As soon as we make him, he knows our plans. And then the king of Syria looks at him and says, you talking to me? No, I'm just kidding. <coughs> I had to do that, I'm sorry. So the king, he, 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 this way he said, he says, uh, verse 13, he says, Go and find out where he is, the king commanded, so I can send troops to seize him. And the report came back, he says, Elisha is at Dothan. So one night the king of Aram sent a great army, a great army, a great army with many chariots and horses to surround the city. Here's what he, let me tell you what this king's plan is, okay? Let's slow down real quick and think with me. The king's plan is to 
kill Elisha, to seize him and kill him. That's his plan. The guy that has known every single move you were going to make before you make it, the guy that seems to have a direct line to God, or in, in their minds, maybe he's just so magical that he just knows everything that's ever going to happen. Let's go kill that guy. Now, doesn't that sound like a good plan? Can't you see the king of Syria like, oh, that's the reason, Elisha, and to see him all puffed up and be like, that's right. So we'll go kill Elisha, and after we're done with him, we'll go kill that Chuck Norris feller. I just wanted to see if anybody else felt like that was ridiculous. I felt like it was ridiculous. Maybe not as ridiculous as killing Chuck Norris, but still ridiculous. In verse 14 it says, So one night the king of Aram sent a great army with many chariots and horses to surround the city. And then verse 15 it says, When the servant of the man of God got up early the next morning and went outside, there were troops, horses, and chariots everywhere. Now, I don't know what happened, but this is essentially what happened. So Elisha is away from the king of Israel. He's away from the Israelite army, and he's staying in this small town. And he's in the house, and apparently he has a servant with him. And that servant gets up really early in the morning and goes outside on the porch or whatever. I don't know why he did that. I know why I go outside early in the morning on the front porch um, to look for deer. Uh, and uh, so he went out there, and apparently he looks around, and he sees this army surrounding him. And he runs back inside, and I guess he had to stir Elisha, and he gets Elisha, and he says, he says hey, wake up. He said, what are we going to do? We are surrounded. There's an entire Syrian army out here. They surrounded us. They're going to seize us. They're going to kill us. Now, I want you to read this, verse 16. This is Elisha's first phrase to him. Don't be afraid, Elisha told him, for there are more on our side than on theirs. Then Elisha prayed. He said, oh, Lord. Open his eyes and let him see. Okay, I want you to notice this. What's the first thing he did? He prayed. He prays for the servant immediately. It's the first thing he does. He prays for the servant. He says, God, open his eyes and let him see what's there. And what did he see? The Lord opened the young man's eyes, and when he looked up, he saw that the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. So this is what he sees around the Syrian army that has surrounded this town or this, or this house. Behind that is another army surrounding it that's even larger and has chariots of fire, of fire. They're on fire, people. That's what he sees. In verse 18, it says, as the Aramean army advanced toward him, Elisha prayed. And I love this. And, I, and I'll be honest with you, this is just my opinion, okay? So this is Tim McCall, just in my brain. But he just prayed for the servant to be able to see. So that's where his mind's at. So he prays another prayer that's kind of like it. He says, God, please make them blind. Talking about the Syrian army, the Arameans. He says, so the Lord struck them with blindness as Elisha had asked. Isn't that kind of awesome? I really think, I really believe with all my heart that it was just the first thing that Elisha thought of. He just, he said, I'm going to pray. And he prayed something crazy. He said, man, make them blind. You helped him see, make them blind. So it made the army blind. Then verse 19, it said, then Elisha went out and told them, I love this part. You've come the wrong way. This isn't the right city. Follow me. And I will take you to the man you are looking for. The Syrians are not real smart. You know what I mean? I mean, they just aren't real smart. They've just been struck with blindness. And somehow, and I don't know how this conversation went. Elisha walks outside, you know. He walks outside and he goes, hey guys, where are you headed? They said, well, we were looking for this town, da 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 He said, man, y'all in the wrong place. Like nothing about this sounds screwy to them. You know what I mean? And it said, and I'm going to kind of just finish this up. We won't read it. 
But this is what he does. He takes, the whole, he takes his whole army and he leads them to Samaria, which is where the Israelite king and the Israelite army was. So they get there. And as soon as they arrive in the city, now you know what's about to happen, right? I mean, you can imagine what's about to happen. So he takes them all the way to the city, takes them inside, and as soon as they enter the city, I'm sure the Israelite king sees, man, this is what's happening. The Syrian army's coming in here. You know, Elisha just walking like this, leading these bunch of blind guys behind him. They get inside the city, and Elisha immediately prays and says, open their eyes. Now, I just imagine when the Syrian army opened their eyes, they are completely surrounded by Israelite soldiers. You know what I mean? And Israelite king, it says, he begins to plead with Elisha. He says, can I kill him? Can I kill him? Please let me kill him. And I'm going to paraphrase what he said right here. But Elisha answered, he said, man, these are not your prisoners. Would you kill prisoners of war? These guys are prisoners, but they're not your prisoners. They're God's prisoners. So here's what we're going to do. Let's have a big feast. Let's fix them something to eat. Let's give them something to drink. And let's send them on their way. Now, I want you to think about that. I think about the Syrian soldiers at this time, the Aramaeans. Think about them. These dudes just got struck with blindness, led into an absolute ambush, and then fed a feast by the very army they're supposed to be fighting against. Now, I want you to imagine, how do you think that felt? Like, if I was an Israelite soldier, how bad would I be right then? I'd be like, cut my safety, be like, Whoa! <laughs> just kidding, man. <laughs> oh! You know, I mean, just imagine the stuff that had to happen. You know what I mean? Oh, 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 oh. I'm just kidding. It's not poison. We wouldn't do that to you guys. I would have some fun with that. I love this. The very last line in the story says, After that, the Aramean raiders stayed away from the land of Israel. Well, don't you think? Don't you think they would have? So what is the lesson? Remember, I told you guys, if I hear an amen, I'll be surprised. So what's the lesson? In some battles, your only role is to pray. In some battles, the only thing that you're supposed to do is pray. Your role's not bigger than that. You don't have a bigger part to play. Your only role is to play, uh, to pray. Elisha recognized immediately that this battle wasn't his fight. I want you to think about it, okay? He's in the house. He recognizes immediately that this battle is not his. His instant reaction, once he assessed the situation, the servant told him what was going on, his instant reaction was to what? Absolutely. He recognized that that was the only thing he could do. He recognized it was the only thing he should be doing. He recognized that the battle was too big for him. Now, don't fall asleep on me, okay? Stick with me because we're going to get to something right here in just a minute, okay? He recognized the battle was too big for him. Leaving God out of the equation was not an option for him. What Elisha was facing was an impossible situation. This wasn't, when he looked out and seen the army and all this stuff, he recognized immediately this was an impossible situation for him. It was bigger than he was. This wasn't an odds are in my favor situation. This is an absolute loss situation. You understand what I'm saying here? So he looks at his situation and recognizes it's an impossibility for him to do anything about it. The next thing he realizes is that he doesn't have the skills. He's a farmer turned prophet. He's not a soldier. He is not equipped. He probably didn't even have a sword. His servant obviously wasn't going to be a whole lot of help because he was already scared. He didn't have what he needed, the resources, to fight the battle that was in front of him. He didn't have an army at his disposal right then, did he? So it's a possible situation. He recognizes he's not equipped for the battle. 
And he also recognized very quickly that God hasn't given him a list of instructions. Now I want you to think about other stories in the Bible. I want you to think about other people in the battle, other situations in the, in the Bible. <coughs> there are stories in the Bible like Joshua, Jericho. God gave Joshua a specific set of instructions. Walk around the city. Y'all have heard this story. I actually preached on it not long ago. Walk around the city seven times, do this, and the walls can fall down. You go inside, you kill everybody and everything. You know, like that's a list of instructions from God Joshua had. With Moses, he says, hold your arms out over, over the sea, and the sea, the waters are going to part, and you're going to cross across on dry land, and once every Israelite is across, then you drop your arms, then the well, sea's going to come crashing down on Pharaoh's head. That's a list of instructions for a battle. You see what I'm saying? With Gideon, you see the same thing. Here, I want you to prepare an army, and this is how I want you to do it, and this is what you should be looking for in soldiers, and so on and so forth. This is what you need to be doing. That is a list of instructions from God. When Elisha looked at this situation, when he woke up that morning, and he looked out and realized there was this incredible battle about to happen in his life, he realized very quickly that God hadn't told him one thing to do, so what was the only thing he should do? Somebody tell me. Absolutely. The battle was too big for him. He had no means to fight it. And he had no orders on how to proceed. So he prayed. Now, some of you this morning are facing battles. In your life right now, you're facing a battle. And some of you are facing battles where your only role in that battle is to pray. The only thing you're supposed to be doing with that battle that you have in your life or that battle that's on the horizon, the only thing you're supposed to be doing is praying, period. Do you know how you know? Do you know how you know that the only thing you should be doing is praying with that battle? How about it's bigger than you? It's an impossible situation. It's not an odds are against you situation. It's an absolute loss situation. There's no way... There's no way that you walk out of that battle unscathed, uh, you know, without pain, without hurting. You look at this and it's, it's, a, it's an absolute loss situation, that battle is. When you look at the battle that you're facing, you see that you don't have the skills, the knowledge, the abilities, the resources, the strength, or the authority to win the battle. Some of you, that, that's a battle, and I want you to think about it. Does it sound like I'm describing your battle? Maybe it's an illness or a situation uh, like that. Maybe it's someone that you care about, and you look, and there's just, you've done everything you thought you could possibly do. But at the end, now there's just, there's nothing else. There's no, no words to be said. There's nothing that you can possibly do. The only thing left for you to do is pray. That's probably what you should be doing. Maybe it's someone attacking you. Maybe there's someone in your life, and no matter what, it seems like they're just trying to, uh, you know, they're just trying to come at you. They're trying to make your life heck, you know. That's what they want to do in life. And there's nothing that you can do about it. I don't know, maybe it's somebody at work or who's higher than you at work or whatever, and they just, that's just what they do. And that's a battle, I'm telling you, in your life, and there is nothing you can do about it. You know, you don't have the authority to do anything about it. You don't have, you just don't know the right steps to make or whatever. Maybe the only thing you're supposed to be doing is praying. 
Some of you right now, when you look at the battle in front of you, you recognize quickly that you are hearing absolutely nothing from God. You haven't been given a list of instructions. You don't know what steps you're supposed to be making. He hasn't, he hasn't just, you know, just revealed his plan to you. I'm telling you, if that's the battle you're facing, if that describes your battle, let me tell you something. There's probably only one thing you need to be doing. What is it? When we gather all, gather all of this data, when we, re- when we recognize that the battle is bigger than ourselves, we should recognize that it isn't ours to fight. And the only thing we should try to do is pray. Now, I'm going to be honest. I got through that pretty quick. There's a reason. Because I've heard that taught 18 different ways from Sunday by Ronnie since I've been here. From Sunday, no pun intended. I have. Raise your hand if you, if, you've, if you realize this in your life, that there were some battles in your life where the only thing you're going to be able to do is pray. You knew that? This is so, so there's a reason you didn't say wow when I said it. Good. You know this. This is not something I'm, this is not new. You recognize in your life that there is, I mean, that this, eventually you're going to come to a place, you're going to come to a battle where the only option you have is to pray. But I want to tell you something. Most of us, we don't live this lesson out. We don't. I'm going to tell you why. Because when we come to that place, most of us, we come to the place where the only thing we can do is pray. You want me to tell you what you feel? Helpless. When you're facing a battle and the only thing you can do is pray, you feel helpless. I'm as guilty as anybody, okay? So don't think I'm fussing it, just you. We feel helpless. I believe the other thing we feel is hopeless. When we come to this place, I'll tell you another thing I believe we feel. Absolute terror. We are scared to death. When we face a battle in our lives where the only thing we can do is pray, I'm going to tell you, the average person and the average Christian I've met in my life is absolutely terrified of that situation where the only thing we can do is pray. And if we're not terrified, if we're not helpless, if we don't feel hope, uh, hopeless or anything like that, I'm going to tell you what else we are. We're frustrated that there's no more steps to take. There's nothing else for us to do. We become angry that there's nothing else that we can make happen in order to fix our situation. Am I right? Are y'all hearing me? I have met very few people in my life who I feel like put this, used this the way it was meant to be used. Because we feel helpless, because we feel hopeless, because we are so terrified of a situation where the only thing we can do is pray or we become angry, I'm going to tell you what we begin to do. We begin to panic. We begin to worry. This thing, this thing, this battle that is in front of us, it becomes something that absolutely just attacks our minds. It holds our hearts and our souls and our minds hostage. Am I speaking truth to you? It becomes the thing that you can't help but think about. It becomes the thing that steals the joy out of your life. And you know what we end up trying to do? We start making plans. I've done it. Have you done it? Start making plans. We can come up with all kinds of junk to fix the, you know, to fight this battle, to fix this problem. That's what we start doing. We start making our own plans because we got to do something. We can't just pray. We start, we pick up a sword even though we're not supposed to. And we run in there charging, just hacking away, fighting that fight. And you know what we do? We make it worse. 
for ourselves. That's what we do. We make it worse. This is just hard talk, okay? Most of us need a change in perspective when it comes to this. We need a change in attitude. And I'm not trying to make light of a battle like that, okay? I'm not trying to make light of a battle with this with an illness. I'm not trying to make light of a battle that is, it's, it's, you know, you know, that is scary. I'm not trying to make light of any of that stuff. But I'm telling you, we got a choice right here of how we approach this. We have a choice how we look at these situations. I don't know why we look at a battle in front of us and feel hopeless when we have the greatest hope of all. I don't know why we look at the battle in front of us when all we can do is pray and we feel helpless when we have the mightiest helper we could ever have. I don't know why we do that. Maybe it's just human nature. Maybe it's weakness. Maybe it's a lack of faith. I don't know. But it is what we do. And the, the scariest part of it is, just like you know that lesson, I knew you were going to know the lesson. You know what else I know? I know that all of you probably believe that God can. You know what I mean? In a battle, you know you know he's all-powerful, you know he's all-knowing. You, you all believe that he can. I just think most of us don't think he will. Take a look back at Elisha, and you'll see the difference. Elisha thought God would didn't he? You read that story. If I had to ask you, and I would, I'd like to do this, I'm a little scared to do it, but if you had to describe Elisha, if, after, I, after reading that story, if you had to describe Elisha, what word would you use? In that situation, facing that battle, how would you describe him? Confident. Absolutely. Every single person. That's, that's, I've asked several people this week, and that's the word they use, confident. He was absolutely confident in his God, and we should be too. Elisha was confident because he knew that because this battle wasn't his fight, he knew it was God's fight. And he loved the sound of that, man, because he knows that God is all-powerful and he knows that God can do anything he wants to do. And he believed that he would do anything he asked him to. He knew that God would take care of him and he knew that he was about to see something awesome happen. So he prayed something crazy with confidence. The battle was bigger than Elisha, but instead of finding fear in the realization that all he, had, all he could do was pray, he found hope and strength in the fact that God was bigger than the battle. All right, this is the choice you have, okay? You can be afraid of the battle because all you can do is pray. Or you can be afraid for the battle because you're about to pray. Do you hear me? You can be afraid of the battle because all you can do is pray. Or you can be afraid for the battle because you're about to pray. I'm telling you, it's a change in mindset. And I know, I feel like I'm, y'all are just staring at me blankly like, like I'm not saying anything. We have a choice. We have a choice of how we approach these battles. We have a choice about how we approach God in these battles. We have a choice, man. When we're backed into a corner, we can, we, can, we can get in the corner and we can cower down and we can whimper our prayers or we can stand up in the corner and we can shout our prayers out from the corner. That's our choice. 
we can pray with confidence. We can pray something crazy with confidence. I'm telling you, think about, think about these battles you have in your life, man. If it's somebody that's been attacking you and they just will not let up on you no matter what you do and you don't have anything, there's just nothing you can do but pray. I want to tell you something. Pray something crazy. Not that they die because that's messed up. But pray that they get an incredible job somewhere in China. <laughs> you know, like what's wrong with that? I'm serious, what's wrong with that? Why, can, why don't we pray that way? I'm telling you, there's all kinds of stuff like that. For that person, that person that you care about who's going through something, and there's nothing that you can really do about it, but you can just pray for them. We could say it the way we always usually say it. Well, all I can do is pray for you. We could say, all I'm going to do is pray for you. See the difference? And pray something crazy for them. Pray, pray awesome stuff for them. Don't just, just don't, don't just pray weak stuff. Pray crazy stuff for people, confidently, because not only God can, but he will. And we can believe that, and it's okay. It don't make you a kook. We can pray that way. We don't just have to pray that the doctors, that, the God, that, you know, that God will guide the doctor's hands. We don't have to pray that kind of prayer. And I'm not knocking that. I'm okay with that. But why don't we pray that God heals them? You have the choice of how you face that battle. When prayer is the only thing you can do, that's not a bad thing. We look at it like it's a bad thing, but it's not a bad thing. It can be an exciting thing. It takes all of it off of your shoulders. I, uh, <coughs> a couple of years ago, I met uh, a young lady, my wife and I, Brittany, we did, and we met this young lady, and, and very shortly after getting to know her, she was, man, just on fire for God. I love this girl. And very shortly after we met, her life just, there's not really a good way to say it, it just tanked. I'm talking about nasty, ugly stuff happened in her life, okay? And uh, because we had just kind of... Um, built this relationship, you know, we kind of, Brittany and I spent a lot of time talking with her and talking about the things that she was going through, and, and I just, I can't, I wish I could just say it was terrible, terrible, and y'all get that. I mean, it was just a bad situation. I'm talking about just, it was a battle, a very difficult battle. And uh, I, uh, there, she, she doesn't live here, but we talked several times on the phone and, and, uh, and everything. But then, next thing you know, we kind of lost contact. And I didn't have a number. Um, and I didn't, got off Facebook, none of that stuff. And so I literally had no way to contact this person. And I'll be honest, I kind of I copped out because there wasn't really anything left for me to say. You know what I mean? I just, I just didn't have any more advice to give. There was, it was literally... That was her situation. It was a terrible, terrible situation, and there was the only thing. There was only one thing left for me to do. Anybody want to guess what it was? Okay, so this is what I do. It, my hay barn is kind of my spot. That's my quiet place, and it's kind of the hay barn slash the field right there. Uh, I kind of bounce between the two. But in my hay barn, I have this white dry erase board. Right, Frank? Yeah, he was there the other day, and he saw it. Um, and this uh, dry erase board, uh, Ronnie did, taught us a while back, a couple years ago, actually, about this book called The Circle Maker, which is about prayer. And we just talked about, like, you take and you group your prayers up. 
So like different things that you pray for, well, a year and a half ago or so, I wrote this young lady's name on my board. And, uh, and it has like my family and it has like this and this, but her name was there. And I'll be honest with you, over a year and a half, uh, some of those things I haven't been real faithful to pray for. But I have been faithful to pray for her. And uh, I, every several, and I'm talking about every day, I'm talking about just like every several weeks I'll look up there and I would see her name and I would just pray for her. Right there in the hay barn, getting on a tractor or walking out in the field or whatever, just go sit in my spot. I would just pray for her. And I prayed, and I prayed, I'll be honest with you, I prayed pretty big stuff. I prayed, I said, God, you know, this in that spot of her life, you know, give her a new beginning and bring, and just, and, and just fill her life up with good stuff. You know, and that was what I, and that's the kind of prayers I would pray. Well, this past couple of weeks, uh, we've been kind of cleaning up, getting ready to do some different stuff on the farm, so I started cleaning out my hay barn. Well, I got to the dry erase board, and I got it, it looked nasty, it's like dusty, and got hay all over it, and I said, you know what, I'm going to clean this board off, and so I started cleaning it up, and I started, I was going to rewrite names and stuff, because my handwriting's terrible, and I decided I was going to clean it up. Well, I got her name, and I said, I was going to erase it, and I said, you know, I said, I don't know that uh, I want to do that. I said, it's there, I see that, and that reminds me, and I don't know how she's doing, I don't know anything about her life, I mean, for the last year, other than I've prayed for her every, several, you know, every few weeks or whatever. And I said, I'm not going to race it. And I, this is what I prayed right then. I said, God, I prayed for her again, and I said, God, when it's time to take her name off, you tell me. So it'll be up to you. So I'll pray for her until you tell me to take the name off. That was on last, that was a week ago Friday. Well, Sunday night after church, I get home after that incredible service we had last Sunday. I get home, and we, you know, we're headed to bed that night, and I look on my phone, and I have a number that I don't recognize, and it's this incredible long text message, and I'd like to read it to you. Hey, Tim and Brittany, I just wanted to reach out and let you know how faithful the Lord has been to me. I want you to know that God used you both in my life in a way you'll never understand until we are in eternity. You were a means of grace to me at the darkest of times of my life. I'll never forget the conversations we had on the phone. Uh, God spoke peace and truth to me through you. Thank you so much for being so faithful to love and to speak into my hurting so many others were afraid to. I want you to know God has blessed me with a wonderful life. Even though he would have been just as loving and good if his plan had been to keep me in a hard life, I'm still working uh, diligently at my church. Uh, I work a lot with mentoring young girls, and I helped uh, start a, young, a, a woman's Bible study in one of the most poverty-stricken areas in our town. All this has been through God's goodness and his keeping in me. I know it's been a long time. I just wanted you to know that I think of and pray for you both often. And I love you dearly. And I hope you're doing well. God was faithful to us both. Sometimes when the only thing you can do is pray, it can be an exciting thing. Telling you, and it made a difference. Look, and I hope y'all don't think I'm I'm up here tooting my own horn because I'm not. I'm telling you, I fall short, and y'all know that. But I'm telling you, it made a difference for her. It made a difference for me. And we have the choice of how we go about it. 
We can dread the battles where all we can do is pray. Or we can welcome them. And we can see amazing things happen. It's a change in attitude. It's a change in perspective. And I'm going to pray for that for y'all, if that's okay. And myself. Here we go. Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for bringing us here together. And thank you for just, for, for what you did right there. You know, not don't hear from somebody for so long and then to ask for it. And you just to give it to me. Just plain and simple. God, I, uh, I know that so many of us, we're facing these battles right now. And, and, and God, I don't want to make light of it. I don't want it to feel... Like, like we're making light of the battles we have in our lives, God. But I just, I do want us to be a church and a group of people who pray with belief. Pray with just absolute confidence in you. It's one thing, God, to pray and say, oh, you know, I know you're mighty and I know you're powerful. It's another thing to pray and say, I know you're mighty, I know you're powerful, and I want you to use it in my life. I want you to make a difference. I want you to change this person's situation. I want you to change this person's heart. I want you to heal what's broken right here. We have the choice of how we approach you. And when I look at the the men and women of the Bible who prayed, I don't see fear in their stories. I don't see dread in their hearts. I see excitement for what you were about to do, God, and that's what I want to see happen in this church when we pray. I want us to be excited about what we are about to see you do. Father, you're a great God and we know it. But God, we want you to be a great God and show it. Father, I thank you for each and every person that's here this morning, God, and I just pray that, that you begin, that you grow us, you mold us into the people you want us to be, and that our prayer lives will become the hub that turns this community upside down, that turns situations upside down, that, that changes lives for the better, that, 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 that this group's prayers is what will change this place. It's what will change our families and our friendships and our, our, our places of work. Our prayers will be what does that. God, that's my prayer. And I do pray it with confidence. Father, we love you. And we give you all the glory. And it's in Jesus' name. And everybody says, amen. Thank you guys for being here this morning. Enjoy your day. And we'll see you soon.